I've said this before, but I always love it when we have an epic background to our bumper video. It just just makes me excited, makes me want to grab a sword and uh, like we have up here. That's a big one, though I don't think I could wield it very well. So last week we started talking, uh, last week we, we looked at Daniel and how and what great faith Daniel exhibited. When he faced less than comfortable situation, he was, uh, he was taken prisoner, he was taken to a foreign pagan nation, uh, and even in the midst of that, he stood. He stood true to his faith, he stood true to what God had called him to be. Under incredible pressures, under the threat of his life, Daniel remained faithful. And we looked at the fact that we too, just like Daniel, must stand in the face of things that want to lead us down a path which God is not honored by. Uh, Scripture calls us to stand against what is often the flow of the mainstream or the majority. I mean, this has happened our whole life, right? Uh, It happened in grade school. It happened in middle school and high school. It happens in college. It happens in our adult life. When we are around people... We are influenced by them. We, we can be a part of a group that, that isn't that good for us, and, and we uh, can just decide, I'm just not going to fight against it. I'm just going to go with the flow. Um, kind of like sitting in an inner tube on the North Platte River. If, if you've ever sat on an inner tube in the North Platte River, you know that you don't really have a lot of control of that tube, and, and you have a couple of options. Uh, you can just sit in it and let the current take you where it may. But if you've ever floated the North Platte River, you know that's actually not a wise thing to do because there are some turns where that, that flow will take you right into some down trees and, and it will get you in trouble. In fact, even in the North Platte River, in that situation, you could drown. And, and that happens in, in our life as well when we are unwilling or unconcerned about standing against things that do not honor God. Now, as we start a new year, I say good riddance to 2020. In fact, I didn't look, but I kind of feel like I said that last year too as we entered into a new year. I don't remember what was going on, but it always seems like there's something that we want to just say goodbye to. And, and this new year kind of gives us hope or promise that it will be different. But think about this. For centuries, centuries, hundreds and thousands of years, people have looked at our world and wondered, could it get any worse? Is it possible that life could get any more difficult For thousands of years, people have wondered if their generation just might be the last generation that walks planet Earth before Jesus returns. Many generations have thought this. And as time goes by, we are, of course, in fact, getting closer to the day that Jesus is going to return. And we certainly need to be ready for that. I, for one, don't want to be caught on. I don't want to be caught unprepared for when Jesus returns, but I also want to encourage all who are listening today, all who are here today, even as we prepare to stand against evil, 
even as we wonder if this generation could be the last one, eternal life is alive and well today. It's here. If you are a Christ follower, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're not waiting someday for eternal life. We are given that eternal life the day that we receive Jesus Christ. He gives us life. And and it is good. Yes, there are hard things in all of our lives, but there is also joy and peace and love and grace and mercy. This morning there was a sunset. I don't know if it was beautiful. I wasn't looking for it. I'm sorry, sunrise. It's a COVID thing. Um, we experienced in 2020 new puppies and great family gatherings. Uh, fishing in warm huts on the ice with family and hiking up a mountain with friends. Those are good things. Camping. Christmas meals and short vacations with moms and dads and their children. I've seen it. I've seen picture upon picture on Facebook of good in the year 2020. Of life that Jesus has given us. New little ones growing and developing in their mother's wombs and fathers supporting their wives along that journey as the birth approaches. We've been given new little ones in the year 2020. The amazing provision of God, sometimes out of nowhere, somebody shows up on your doorstep with an envelope from somebody, and it meets a need in that moment that that you were wondering how. How might this be taken care of and God provided in a very specific way? expectation, hope, joy. I've seen many Facebook posts in the last week where people are concluding that maybe, just maybe, the storms over the last year were just large enough and just dark enough and just different enough that they almost took the wind out of my sails and I almost became fixated on those storms instead of the one who has beat those storms. Our Savior, the one who brings us grace, the sustaining grace of God. And and many of those posts I have seen have concluded that though there were difficult things that happened in the year 2020, there were also good things. And there were things that I learned and there were things that God taught me. And there were many blessings in the course of that 365-day period. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to remember that in 2021, if it doesn't get any better than 2020, that that's okay because we are still experiencing eternal life today and Jesus is doing just as he promised. He has never left us nor forsaken us. He is right there alongside of us. See, when dark things and hard things crowd in, it's really hard for us to see the good that really does continue to surround us. And... um, This passage that we're looking at today, this section, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. Somewhere around the year 64 AD. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And so, what he's talking about, which we can directly relate to today, 
the things that we're experiencing in life, they're not new. These are not new struggles. These are not new things. But they're things that we need to be ready for. The things that we are experiencing today are a natural part of being in a broken world. As a nation, we've stared down diseases before. Does anyone ever remember an epidemic called AIDS or HIV? Do you ever hear about that anymore today? Very seldom do we hear anything about that today. And when it came out, it was for, I mean, there was fear everywhere on our planet. As a nation, we have lived through administrations we don't agree with, no matter what political party we support. As a nation, we have lived through stock market crashes. We have lived through a Great Depression. Well, some, not sure anyone in this room has actually did that. My dad did. My grandmother did. We lived through two world wars and many other smaller wars. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the current state of our nation. I mean, we got problems. We have work to do in this country. But we need to remember that nothing is impossible with God. I mean, do we really believe that or is that something we just say when things are going well? He has given us what we need to stand. He has given us what we need for righteousness and for salvation. And as we begin to look in more detail to our passage for the next six weeks, Paul reminds us at the beginning of this passage what we're standing against. Paul is very clear in this part of his letter to the Ephesians. It's an opponent that is often dismissed in our culture today. And if he can convince enough people that he doesn't exist or that somehow he's just a mythical figure then he has a hand up on the battle. All too often in our modern-day American mindset, we forget that Satan and his attempts at influencing and destroying us is real, as real as that person sitting next to you. So we need to be aware and understand, number one, that the spiritual battle and dark forces are real. They are real. Ephesians 6, let's look at 10, 11, and 12. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, have you ever been caught unaware or surprised by something in a way that if you had realized what was going to happen, you could have reacted or responded differently? Or in a much better way than you did. Sometimes that initial knee-jerk reaction um, can be, unfortunately, not very good. Uh, sometimes it can. It would have been nice to have had a little bit more information. Paul doesn't get specific here as to the number or the rank and file of these authorities and these dark, um, uh, these dark powers. But the Bible very clearly tells us that there is one and many others in our world who oppose us. Uh, Revelation 12.9 points to the reality of his existence and how he came to be here on this planet. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. 
He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Hurled to the earth and his angels with him. He decided that he wanted to be God. He, uh, he was one of God's most beautiful creations, we are told, in other places in Scripture. An angel of light. A beautiful, beautiful angel. And it all seems to have gone to his head. And you can't be greater than God. You can't be as equal as God. And I guess he thought maybe he would do that, so God cast him out of heaven, and he has been out to get God through us ever since. He is alive. He is real. And this spiritual battle plays out daily in our lives, doesn't it? I mean, if we really stop and think about things that are happening on our planet, it happens every day, and we get sucked in so quickly and easily to the thinking that it's me against you, or you against me. Or it's me against my boss. I mean, Paul says that's not who our battle is against. That's not where this battle starts. It may at times manifest itself in that place, and Scripture gives us clear teaching on how to deal with each other in a relationship. But we need to remember when we're struggling in that relationship, there's also an underlying current of deceit and evil and lies and and mistruth. I mean, I want you to look at the people ahead of you. Three rows. Count up. Three rows. If you're sitting on the front, three rows. Look at me, I guess. Or think of those sitting behind you in the balcony if you took a peek when we were standing and maybe greeting each other. Uh, is it you against them, you against each other? It seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? But, but Paul is reminding us that that's not where the, the real battle is, is being fought. Think of those on Facebook and at work or at school who just seem to know the right buttons to push to get your blood boiling. See, we, we can lash out to them, at them. Now, I'm not saying not have honest conversations with people, but we need to recognize that there is an underlying current in life, in this nation, in our world. It's a spiritual battle. And when we focus our sights on other people instead of where the, the battle really needs to be fought, we can get lost in a hurry. And we can lose in a hurry. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, look at verse 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Oh, the spiritual battle is very real. And, and, and it's not that we don't struggle again with people, but the core of our daily struggle isn't with each other It's a spiritual battle. And as we live that battle, we need to be sure that we aren't underestimating its power because it is powerful. There is power in in the dark world. But Pastor David, you might ask, Jesus overcame Satan, right? I mean, he conquered sin and death, right? He doesn't still have any power over me, right? Well, that statement is partially true. 
In reality, Satan doesn't have any power over you. He only has power over us or influence over us if we give it to him. And that happens when we willy-nilly live life as if he's not real or if he doesn't affect anything that we do or say. If we just casually go through life going with the flow. You see, he opposes anything that God wants to do in your life or anybody else's. He opposes anything good that you do in the name of Jesus Christ. Anything. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul gives many commands we are to obey. Yes, God's commands of what to do and how to live holy lives, seeking to do what's right. Skim through those this week. I mean, we, we studied Ephesians not too long ago. Maybe you could listen to those messages. But, but what happens if we don't intentionally live is we start cutting corners. We're like a, a middle school track team running laps in the gym or a basketball team. The coach says, stay outside of the volleyball court. Nobody stays outside the volleyball court. They all start cutting the corners, right? Because they don't want to run so far because it's too hard. Yeah. Or, or, and we utter things like, God will forgive me. If I do this, I'm going to do this, and I know that even if I do, God will forgive me, which is true, but there will still be consequences. We might think it's not hurting anyone else. It's not that bad. Other people do things that are much worse. I just don't want to make waves or not be in agreement with the majority. I mean, don't you see the, the opposition is dark, evil, and spiritual and powerful? How else does an entire nation get to the place of killing six million Jews with little or no resistance from the church? If that isn't power from the dark side, I don't know what is. How did that even happen? Or our own nation killing tens of millions through the years of the unborn. Murder rates. Rape, child abuse, illegal drugs. Just think of the devastation that those things do in a person's life. Not just in that moment or in that week, but for years. Maybe the rest of their life. That is not good. That is not powered and um, encouraged by God. That is the dark powers of this world. The dark forces of this world are also Wicked. I mean, evil. Their intentions are evil. To kill and destroy, Peter says, in describing Satan wandering around. I mean, think of the conversation that, that God had with Satan about Job. So, where you been? Ah, just, you know, wandering around the world. Have you, God says, have you ever considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, he only follows you because, because you give him good stuff. I mean, Satan's already thinking of destroying Job's life. And God says, oh, okay, let's, let's do this. Now, I, I pray that God is not having that same conversation that he had with Job about me. Right? I mean, I, I don't want to go through those things. But if God deems it necessary, for whatever reason, then I need to be faithful to him as Job was, though there were periods of time where Job really struggled and where his friends 
man, they needed to be, he needed some more faithful friends in, in that moment. But they're wicked. And the consequences of being led and influenced by them are devastating. So, so we need to stand against them. We will see the first way this morning at the end of this message. We're going to be looking at the first part of the armor. Uh, we are experiencing the consequences of these dark forces in our world today. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the prophet says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We, we see that. In fact, there are times when we don't even just see it. That's how we think. When, when we're trying to justify a poor decision, we are trying to personally, because too often we read that and we think all of those other people out there, they're the ones that are seeing uh, uh, evil as, as good and good as, as evil. But we're all sinful people. We all struggle with sin. And we too can try to self-justify evil. I mean, we see it every day, so, so we must stand. Don't underestimate their power. Recognize that the dark powers are wicked and be aware that they're cunning. This is really important. Satan is a master at scheming and lying. And he's not going to tell you when he's scheming and lying. Right? Right? From the very beginning of time, in Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty, and we see if we read the rest of that passage, that he twisted the words of God and created doubt in Adam and Eve's mind that God really did have their best interest in mind, that, that God really was a loving God, and they begin to question that. He convinced them that God was holding out on them and, and that it would be a good thing to do the one thing that God commanded them not to do. The one thing. You had one job, right? And they fell into his trap. They believed his lies. Jesus' own ministry began in a great battle with Satan that lasted 40 days, right? He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan on this planet. And I wish we had time to go there, but we don't. It's found in Matthew chapter 4 if you want to look at it later. But what did Satan do to tempt Jesus? He quoted Scripture. Now, out of context, absolutely, but he quoted it. He used it. What did Jesus do? Quoted Scripture. The right way. We have to recognize the fact that Satan is a constant deceiver, that he is hard at work in this world. He is hard at work. Now, this isn't, of course, the most comforting news, is it? But, but it's necessary for us to remember that as a Christ follower, as we continue to seek to grow in knowledge and obedience in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that there is opposition to that. 
that we shouldn't be surprised when we when we commit to the year 2021 that we're going to read our Bible every day and it's a struggle. Or that we're going to spend 10 minutes or 5 minutes or 15 minutes in prayer in the morning on our way to work and it becomes a struggle. We should not be surprised by that because there is opposition. Satan doesn't want you to do that. And he's going to do everything. He's going to, he's going to leverage everything that he has been given power over to, to, to get you to just float down the stream. And if we are having success in one area, I mean, let's say that, that, that your marriage is really thriving right now and it's really strong and, and, and you both just feel really satisfied. And there's strength. There's God-given strength in that. Is he going to attack that? I, I want to say no. I want to say he's going to look for some other things that maybe you're not paying attention to. And he's going to try and find a place that you have maybe left a door open or a, a place where, where he can actually get a foothold. Or maybe he uses some of those other things to, to, to wear you down and then attacks the one that is actually going well. Here's the thing. Again, we have to live intentionally. We have to be intentional. Because he certainly is. Our struggle. Again, it's how we came to the place where killing the unborn is okay or where denigrating another race of people is acceptable in certain situations or places or that unnatural sexual relationships are not only accepted but condoned or that adultery or divorce is okay as long as there's love involved. I mean, there's lots of ways that he can twist or that the end somehow justifies the means no matter if the means is just immoral or wrong or lacks integrity. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil made me do it? If you've heard that saying, raise your hand. The devil made me do it. Okay, now I want us to note how old the people are that just raised their hands. Because that's not something that we say today. That is not a phrase that our youth hear much, the devil made me do it. But I heard it all the time growing up. My brother had a lamp, you know those light bulbs with the little flickery thing in it? That was a 70s thing. It said the devil made me do it on it. I don't know how my parents ever allowed him to buy that and put it in his room. Maybe they didn't know it was there. Maybe, maybe we don't hear that too often anymore today because we don't feel bad anymore about that. We just, well, I did it. That's just... The way it is. I, I, I don't have any conscience over having done something that is in opposition to what God wants in my life. Anyway, the, the devil doesn't make us do anything. We need to remember that. But he sure goes to great strides to tempt us to. And the Bible says that one of the, one of the reasons Jesus, that's, that's one of the reasons Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, not, not possessed by, but influenced by. 
Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He is the author of sin and evil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. So, didn't he? Didn't Jesus' death on the cross conquer sin and death? Yes, yes, yes it did. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice made on our behalf. He came as a man, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he was crucified, surrendered himself to crucifixion on a cross, and and because of our sin, God's perfection, his justice required a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And Jesus went to the cross on, on behalf of you and me, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and he is alive and well right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when we surrender our lives to him, and we believe that he is Lord, the Bible says that we will be saved. We receive eternal life. In fact, as, as we see in Ephesians even earlier than what we're looking at today, he chose us before he even created everything else. That's how big and mighty and powerful he is. So then why the spiritual battle? You might be asking, if Jesus conquered sin and death, why are we still fighting? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and, and the best answer I can come up if, with is because God hasn't ended it all yet. It's his timing. Jesus' death on the cross was the beginning of the end, so to speak. The end, has, the end has been decided. We know who wins in the end. We're just waiting for God's timing, and, and it will be perfect. We can trust him with that. If, 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 we're, if, if you end up on your deathbed and Jesus didn't return in your just generation, don't be disappointed. Just know and remember that, that God has got this, and he knows what he's doing. That has been told us in Scripture about Moses and Abraham. Abraham didn't see many of the things God promised because he didn't live forever. But, but God continues to do the things that he promised and will until the end. So when God returns, when Jesus returns, it's not up to us. So we continue to fight and struggle against the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in every day. Jesus Christ decisively defeated Satan on the cross. But he will not destroy him until he returns in judgment. And until then, our struggle will be fierce, but our victory is not in doubt. Our ultimate victory is not in doubt. The second truth in our passage this morning is that we're called to stand firm. Look at verses 13 and 14. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm. Don't give in. Resist. Fight in opposition with the same veracity that Satan is coming after you. 
We could do this when we're prepared and we are able to stand because our standing strength comes from the Lord, not from ourselves. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I mean, there's, never, there, there's no better place to be than in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where Jesus' strength came from. The Lord. I mean, himself, right? That same power is available to us on a daily basis. Resurrection power. It doesn't matter what life throws at us. It doesn't matter what year it is or what's happening in the world. We must remember that our strength doesn't come from us. We will fail every time if we're relying on our own strength and our own smarts and wisdom and, and ability to just suck it up and do what's right. We can't fight a spiritual battle with our own puny little human power and strength. It won't work. We must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's his strength. It's his power. He is the blacksmith. He is the forger. He is the one who has fashioned this armor that, that Paul is talking about perfectly, I might add, to provide exactly what we need to stand up and stand in the battle. We are to stand our ground. We are to put on the armor. We are to do everything we can to stand. So here's the thing. We aren't just along for the ride. I, I read this morning that, that, um, that we weren't handed a shovel and we're supposed to stand in a place and wait for a hole to appear. Just, just like, a, and I wanted to have a full suit of armor. I tried for a month to find someone I knew or someone I knew who knew someone who had a full suit of armor. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, like 15th century armor because that just really looks cool. I mean, I scrounged this helmet. I didn't really scrounge. I knew who had the helmet. And, and this sword. And I have a couple other swords that I meant to bring that my son had, but I forgot them this morning. One really very Roman-like. But here's the thing. It doesn't do enough to know about the armor. It, armor doesn't do you any good in battle if you just know what it does. Or you can describe it. It only works if you put it on. And that's what we're talking about over the next six weeks, is actually not just knowing about it, which is important, but we need to actually use it. So you have a decision to make. Number one, acknowledge that the battle is real and that it's a spiritual battle. And number two, know what armor is available to you. And number three, put it on. So actually, I think when, when I think of armor, this is what I think. When Paul was describing the armor, I think this is what he was thinking. Okay, Paul knew Armin, or Roman armor. 
In fact, he knew it pretty intimately. He spent a good portion of his time chained to a Roman guard who probably had some of that on. And and we are able to stand because God has given us, and that's the first one I want to look at today, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And And I like to say things like, it's so that you don't get caught with your pants down. Right? A belt holds up your pants. Well, they didn't have pants in Rome. They wore tunics or robe-like things. And, and could you imagine having your bathrobe on and trying to fight another guy with a sword? Stuff would get in the way, right? So um, they needed a belt to kind of pull all of that in and maybe raise it up a little bit so it wasn't catching on their knees. There's other things that are a part of the belt that Paul is using as an illustration for the truth. There is a place to attach his sword, which we will see eventually that that is the only offensive weapon that Paul talks about is the sword. Most of the others are defensive. There are straps that hang down in the front. Of course, I'm thinking, what is that going to do against a sword that's being, being swung at you? But it would stop it from cutting through at least still hurt like a dog. But that is what Paul is thinking of when he's talking about the belt. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The armor of God, belt of truth, it's it's what Jesus confronted Satan with in the desert. Right? Truth. When he was being tempted, truth with a capital T. You see, God's revelation in Christ and in Scripture is truth. We have it right here. It is necessary for us to know the Word of God. And very similar to the armor, it's not enough to just know it, although that's the first step, of course. We need to use it. We need to apply it. We need to obey it. Multiple times in this letter, Paul points out to the importance of knowing the truth, studying the scriptures, allowing the word of God to penetrate our hearts and our souls. And that only happens if we spend some time with it. Often we don't like what's illuminated in the depths of our hearts. So what do we do? We avoid it. The one thing that we need to bring life, to bring life, we avoid because we don't like to be corrected or to feel shame or to think that we're not perfect or don't know everything. But we need to humble ourselves before God and we need to allow him to mold us. And one of the ways... I believe the major way he does that is through his word, his revelation to us that he has given us. To shape our thoughts and our priorities, we must study it on a daily basis, studying it and talking about it with others. I mean, when's the last time that you just sat down with a friend or a relative and just say, hey, what's the Bible teaching you this week or this month? And just talk about it. 
instead of the weather or COVID or politics or something else. Instead of, instead, let's talk about the truth. Ladies' groups, men's groups, Bible studies in our homes and, and here at church, it's preparation. It's investing and being disciplined in something that is going to strengthen us for the moments when we need it. It's daily spiritual exercise so that we can stand against the dark powers of this world, so we can identify a lie or, or deception. So we can clearly see those things. So we don't willy-nilly go with the flow of the majority, unless, of course, the majority is staying true to the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? It's going to happen. There's going to be trouble. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." And trust me, standing against the dark forces is good work. It's hard work, but it is good. It's foundational. It's a foundational part of the armor of God. It informs and gives a basis for so many of the other parts of the armor. Another thought that I read this week on the belt of truth is that it also could be referring to um, truth as in, in our inward being. Um, in the sense of integrity, being true to good. Uh, so, and here's what they, the commentators point out, that there is no definite article in the Greek here. Well, I'm not a Greek expert, and I wouldn't even claim to be an English expert. So I will defer to those that are smarter than myself, but it does make sense. If, if we aren't truthful men and women of integrity... We fall into hypocrisy. Here's, here's my definition of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying and leading people to believe we are one thing, but intentionally and consistently doing another. So, see, sometimes we can look at people and say they're a hypocrite, but if we really knew their story, they just screwed up and made a bad decision. It's not that they're proclaiming that this is the way they are and, and, and that they're right and it's okay if they do this. It's that they're still in the process of being molded and shaped by God himself. There is room for grace in this. But we spit on his grace when we live a life of hypocrisy. In fact, we fall into the exact lifestyle Satan lives himself. Right? Claiming to be light, but really sneaking in the darkness. And we can't beat him at his own game. It's not going to happen. 
I don't see truth in our inward being and having integrity as being totally different than truth in God's revelation, but it's a result of. You know, as we are invested and as we invest in knowing God's word, the truth, it becomes a part of who we are and that then informs the decisions we make every day and we become people of integrity. Faithful, we grow in our knowledge of the truth. We are able to stand because we have a strong belt supporting the rest of the armor that God has fashioned for us, for you. You know, when, when David, shepherd boy David, put on King Saul's armor, he was like, forget it. I mean, it ain't happening. Why? The armor wasn't made for David. It was King Saul's armor. David, when, in, when he went into that battle with Goliath, he had on the armor that he needed, that God had fashioned for him already. One was faith and trust. And, and I can't help but think David had some pretty good accuracy with that slingshot. But you have to know God powered that rock through the air and into the skull of Goliath. God has forged armor for each one of us. So if you've been lost or tired or lazy or maybe just didn't know how important studying the Word of God is, take a step this week in the right direction at putting on the belt of truth. I have a couple things here. One of the ways in which you can do that is to pick up the Our Daily Bread. It's a daily thing. January, February, March is available out on the information counter. There's a little passage for you to read. It has it at the top. I really like these because they're large print. Now, the smaller ones were getting harder for me to read. COVID. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but, uh, and, and even if you're, if you're really feeling challenged and you're really feeling up to it at the bottom, if you follow the reading assignments at the bottom of the Our Daily Bread, it will have you read through the entire book of the Bible in a year. Now, if you're not a Bible reader, I would suggest not biting this off because in three or four days you're going to miss a day and then you're going to be three days behind and four days behind and you're going to get discouraged and you're going to say forget it i can't do it which is the devil talking you can do it you can get better at it that's one thing Maybe you're like, I don't even know how to read the Bible or I don't even know, you know, like there's the Psalms and there's, there's, there's like poetry and then there's Song of Solomon. I don't even go there. I'm a single person. Um, there are other, what do I do? Well, one thing that I've really found helpful is a book that helps you to read the Bible. And this, this isn't for somebody that, this isn't devotional. This is like a little bit technical, but in layman's terms. It's a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And it's, it's written by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, and it talks about why, why do we say that the Bible is the Word of God? Why do we say that, you know, it's thousands of years old? How can it be accurate today? Um, where, where does that come from? It, he talks about what the tra uh, translation, you know, what, well, my pastor reads in King James only, but your pastor uses NIV. What, what is the difference? He talks about that. Um, he talks about, well, how do we make decisions when we're trying to interpret certain things? Like, Jesus tells a story. Was that an actual event or was that an illustration? How do we tell the difference? He goes through a lot of that stuff. 
And it just helps you be a more informed um, reader of, of the Bible. Because it's so easy to just, you know, it, maybe, maybe you just need to start reading it this week. My suggestion would be to read the book of Mark in the New Testament. Uh, don't, don't start your Bible reading in Leviticus. I mean, I still struggle to understand some of the things in Leviticus. These are all good places to start. And, and what I challenge for you today is to, again, not just know about the armor, but to start putting it on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, that we can sit here today and though we may have struggled and, and, and uh, maybe even failed many times in our relationship with you to understand life, to wrestle through hard things. But Father, I pray that, that as, as we look at the dark powers this morning, that, that we, yes, we would recognize that, that, that there is power there, that it's real, that there is a battle. But Father, help us to, to focus on you, recognizing that we're in a battle and that we need, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every day whether it's in grief or feeling betrayed by something or somebody, or we've failed ourselves, Lord, help us to not just know in our heads that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but to know in our hearts and feel it in our feet every day as we step out the door of our home and we go to work or we go to play or we go to school. Father, I pray that you would help all who have heard this message today to, to put on the belt of truth and to use it. In Jesus' name, amen.